This is episode 72 of the Angry Tech News Podcast for Tuesday, August 8th, 2023. This is the Angry Tech News Podcast at angrytechnews.com. Now your host, the Angry Programmer with a mic, Ryan Bemrose. So, going live, uh, I'm uh, working on getting back to that one time slot that I'm supposed to be doing. I'm only going live about 25 minutes late right now, which I consider to be a big improvement. Uh, the reason for this I'm going to go with is I am still hungover from Clean Feed Karaoke on Saturday night with uh, Phone Boy, Phoenix, Bemlet, and NetNed. I don't know if anybody recorded any of that. I should hope not. Uh, but a good time was had by all and I woke up and my head was pounding and my voice was hoarse. So I know I was singing along very loudly to some songs. Now, if I'm honest, it's Tuesday. That was Saturday. That's not actually what happened. But since I'm not, that's my story. Deal with it. From the sci-fi plot ideas department, water soluble circuit boards. This one came in from uh, Reverend Cybertrucker, who alerted me to the story. Um, obviously, for this one, the jokes kind of write themselves. You know, what happens if you spill your beer on your device that has a water-soluble circuit board? What if you drop your device in the toilet? What if you're a super-secret spy caught behind enemy lines with an incriminating USB stick that you have to dispose of by swallowing it? Will it satisfy your recommended daily allowance of cadmium, lithium, cobalt, and other carcinogens? And can the enemy spy agency then recover those minerals from your stool in order to recycle them for the earth? But as a source of at least somewhat reliable news, I decided to look deeper to bring you the actual facts about this new innovation. Okay, not very much deeper, mind you. Environmentally conscious individuals like to, or like to make hay with the idea of e-waste. Electronic chips and circuit boards are produced by a fairly involved process that involves etching and small amount or etching minerals, small amounts of rare materials into a silicone substrate, silicon, not silicone, different thing to make components, then gluing those components onto a PCB board in a particular configuration to make whatever circuit you want. When the consumer is done with whatever product the board was installed to, sometimes because the product wore out or sometimes because Apple has released yet another phone with the tiniest incremental changes over the model you bought last year, but you're so immersed in the company's juggernaut marketing machine that constantly urges consumers to buy a new handset every single year to replace the perfectly working handset whose battery has hardly had time to fatigue yet, you might go buy another one. Because, as we know, the very idea of simply not buying a brand new phone every single year, of not buying that Internet of Things toothbrush, the Wi-Fi connected dog bowl, or a car that has more electronic components than mechanical ones, that idea doesn't even compute in the brains of today's tech-addled consumers. And so, we recycle. Well, whatever the situation, it would be nice to try to get some, some of the rare elements back out of the old device. You know, for the planet. The first step to recycling old circuit boards is to get the components free of the board. Most PCDs today are made up of fiberglass held together with resin. Uh, the components don't come off cleanly. 
this, uh, the uh, fiberglass held together with resin, by the way, that's the same material used in those huge unrecyclable windmill blades that keep piling up in landfills after the turbine wind generators they were attached to reach the end of life, never having produced as much power as went into making them. Current recycling methods involve shredding the board into very fine chunks and then using either fire to burn away the resin and fibers or use strong acids to dissolve the interesting metal bits off of the board so they can be reconstituted later. Most of what you get back is gold from the, uh, the electrical traces on the board, but there's also trace amounts of gallium, lithium, indium, yttrium, tantalum, cobalt, etc. Not very much, mind you, and arguably not enough to make the whole process economically viable, but there is some, and that's all that's necessary when you're virtue signaling. Well, a British company called Jiva Materials believes that they have a solution to all of this. They have come out with a product called the Soluboard, which can be used to replace the standard fiberglass and resin PCBs with something that dissolves in water. There's not a lot of details on Jiva's website about the properties of this PCB material, other than you have to submerge the board in hot water about 90 degrees Celsius for a half hour to disintegrate it. Meaning, you're probably safe from that beer spill, Reverend Cybertrucker. Well, safe from your board dissolving, not from the ionic liquid shorting out your board. And that also assumes, by the way, that you drink your beer cold, less than 90 degrees Celsius, which is 194 Fahrenheit. If you drink your beer at that temperature, what the hell? Um, also assumes that you clean up your beer within a half hour. Let's be honest, those are pretty safe assumptions. Besides, it's not like circuit boards ever get too warm on their own. Am I right? Yeah. The real trick, of course, to saving the world with dissolvable boards is getting Soluboard into electronic devices. Or if that's even viable. Jiva's press release contains a lot of information about exactly how many tons of atmospheric CO2 will be saved once everyone uses their product and how much rare metals can be reclaimed. But it's pretty short on details about what this product is made of or how much it will cost. An important consideration to any bean counters who are motivated by more by corporate bottom line than by unprovable environmental statistics uh, or no statistics on... Uh, any kind of reliability or performance data, how would the, their boards stand up under load, what happens when they're heated and cooled repeatedly, what happens when they're dropped into a toilet, for example. And it's obviously a given that this product will do nothing for the billions of existing PCBs being thrown into landfills all the time. Even assuming Jiva can convince device manufacturers to start using Soluboards in all products immediately, say, if Apple puts this stuff into their 2024 iPhones, there won't be any immediate benefits. It won't be until the 2025 model that Apple consumers will start throwing these things into landfills where they can be recycled while the users move on to the next model that probably uses the old style fiberglass PCBs because of unexpected reliability concerns that Jiva doesn't want to talk about. Actually, in the hypothetical scenario where they get where they managed to replace all new boards with their special proprietary blend, there is one immediate and very tangible benefit, of course. Jiva would make a hell of a lot of money, wouldn't they? From the Taking Back Consumer Products Department, uh, August 9th at Black Hat, a team of researchers from uh, TU Berlin. I'm not sure what TU is. Why didn't I look that up? Uh, have found a way to exploit a Tesla's MCU. MCU in this case is media control unit, not the Marvel universe. Uh, Tesla might have one of those too. 
Uh, but specifically, they have created a proof of concept to exploit the third generation MCUZ based on AMD's Ryzen system on a chip, which is being used in most of the current Teslas. What they have managed to do is a voltage fault injection attack, which is a known vulnerability in AMD's chips. A successful attack allowed them to uh, decrypt and extract TPM objects, which are supposed to be protected and, and uh, restricted from the user. With that, researchers gained root privileges and overwrote the BIOS to permanently jailbreak the Tesla media unit. Now, what does this mean? Well, there's obvious hacker implications. For example, somebody who does this can get access to a user's phone book, calendar, etc. But let's be honest, in order to execute this hack, they need physical access to the car and you've probably lost more than your calendar at that point. But the part that I find really interesting about this is the ability to access and enable software locked paywalled features. Uh, for example, Tesla cars, you may not know, come with heating coils installed in the steering wheel and rear seats. But the software usually refuses to ever turn them on unless you've paid an extra $300 to Tesla in order to enable the feature. Uh, Tesla also charges $2,000 when you buy the car for an acceleration boost feature, which does nothing more than remove a software limiter on how fast the car can go from zero to 60. There are other software add-ons such as a $6,000 enhanced autopilot or their $15,000 full self-driving package, which by the way, has never worked despite thousands of customers paying for it. But I, these additional software or these features do take additional software packages. So it's not clear. The researchers did confirm that not all software upgrades are accessible. So they also, uh, they haven't given their talk at black hat yes or yet that happens tomorrow in Las Vegas, um, where I guess we'll find out more. Another consequence of the hack is the ability to extract or modify a vehicle's RSA key unique to each car. These keys are used to authenticate a vehicle to Tesla's services, including their supercharging network, and are also what allow the company to blacklist a car from charging if it has been totaled or resold as used, or if the owner just hasn't read and agreed to all of the company's onerous terms and conditions. Meaning that with this jailbreak, Tesla could lose some of their iron fisted control over what you are allowed to do with the car that you purchased because the vulnerability is in AMD's hardware. It's effectively unpatchable. Tesla has no software mitigation that can patch or unblock or, or block this jailbreak. Although I'm sure they'll try making it more complicated and difficult by adding software to it. Full details of the hack have not yet been published. As I said, the team intends to present their findings tomorrow at black hat in Vegas. Uh, as someone who has always chafed at the idea of consumer companies who sell you a product and then purport to restrict how you can use the product you just purchased, I for one hope that this never gets patched. I'll be downloading the Tesla jailbreak NPM package just as soon as it's released. From the clicky keyboard vulnerability department. A set of British researchers have unveiled a proof of concept for an acoustic side channel keylogger attack. In layman's terms, they mean they can tell what you're typing by the sound your keyboard makes. All they need is some AI and an audio recording of your typing, which can be taken by a cell phone microphone, a zoom or YouTube recording, or I assume one of those fancy spy lasers where somebody shines it against your window and can hear everything that happens in the room. 
Once they have that recording, the paper claims, they effectively have a keylogger that is accurate about 95% of the time, according to tests. Keyloggers are, of course, bad business for end users because they exfiltrate anything you type, passwords, personal data, that incriminating sex chat that you had online with the girl you insisted dress up like an anime character just before she blocked you. Anyway, how do you defend against this kind of nefarious attack? Well, people like me who use alternate non-QWERTY layouts will probably be somewhat protected, at least from the initial version of the software. Although I guess it's only a matter of AI training to get it to recognize Dvorak or Azerty or whatever other layout. Uh, let's see, the attack probably works best or obviously works best on mechanical keyboards with distinct clicks for each key, making the story the first positive thing that I've ever said about those mushy rubber membrane laptop keyboards that feel like you're typing in mashed potatoes. The researchers also suggest using biometric logins instead of passwords. They suggested uh, using passwords that are random gibberish with a mix of upper and lowercase characters as single case dictionary words are the easiest to guess. Yeah, they also happen to be the easiest to remember, which is why they're you anyway. Um, they suggest randomly adding fake keystrokes when you type, which I do automatically anytime I'm trying to type while drunk. No coincidence that the backspace key gets worn out first on my keyboards. Uh, researchers suggested randomly hitting keys while you're being recorded because that'll go over really well on a zoom call. Yeah. Or they say simply changing your typing style should work, which I interpret to mean touch typing is too vulnerable. Learn to two finger hunt and peck. Angry thanks today go to Donald DeHart, Raymond Zorger, Eric Rankin, and Sharky for their support of Angry Tech News of the, the fiat variety. And to Mix, Joel W, Memes1337, Stacy, Mr. Mr., and Servo for boosts using a new podcast app. I finally got my reporting system mostly fixed. Uh, I can now see who is boosting Angry Tech News, and I kind of wish I hadn't because... In three weeks, there were a total of nine boosts to Angry Tech News. So, yeah, okay, I get it. This is a call for me to do more podcasting 2.0 features, isn't it? That's what you're all trying to tell me. You're trying to say, hey, we really want to boost, but why are you not pod pinging? Why are you not live? Why, you know, live item tag? It's, okay, I get it. Trust me, I am working on code to make those happen. This will go. Angry Tech News is produced on the value for value model. We don't take sponsors, we don't play ads, and we don't charge you to listen, but we are funded by your donations. If you received some value from listening to this show, please send some value back. Go to angrytechnews.com and click on the donate button. Send what you think this episode was worth to you, whether it's $50, $150, or even the cost of a paywalled Tesla feature. That's it for now. I'm Ryan Bemrose, the angry programmer with a mic. I'll be back next time with more Angry Tech News. This has been Angry Tech News. With the angry programmer Ryan Bemrose at angrytechnews.com. Stay angry. Stay angry. Stay.